Good morning. And I'm so glad you guys are here to worship God. And uh, it's a real privilege for me to share from God's word with you. Uh, right now, overseas, our lead pastor, Joe Hishma, and our pastor of outreach, Kyle Brown, Mike Tindall, one of our deacons, and then Rick Wirtz, who's from Northland Christian Church, they're uh, in Chennai, India. And they have been checking on church expansion sites that your generosity has made possible. And so they first went to Ethiopia, to Addis Ababa, and now they are in Chennai, India. If you know anything about Chennai, they had a very destructive flood this year. Uh, there was standing water of three to four feet, and literally planes floated away at the airport. The entire city lost all of its power, no public transportation for about four days. And so uh, in, a, in a city of that magnitude, in a third world setting, a natural disaster like that is truly disastrous. And so this is a real key time for the church to serve and meet needs around them. And so the fact that we are helping to expand space for believers to gather is a really critical time in that city. So uh, we're going to pray for them and for what God is doing in both of those areas. Would you join me as we pray? Father, we thank you that we have the privilege of being a part of the larger church family. The family that uh, is gathered in your name, worshiping you and celebrating you and relying upon you. Lord, we thank you for our leadership team that's there and serving. God, we pray that you would keep them well and that you would bring them back uh, safely to us and to their loved ones. But Lord, we pray for the continued advancement of the gospel in Ethiopia as well as in India. Lord, may people move away from reliance upon a religious system that cannot work to a relationship that can be found through Jesus Christ. We pray for them in the name of your son. Amen. Well, if you've ever wondered about your own Christian experience, if you've ever wondered about, uh, do you experience the same thing other Christians do? You're in the right place. If you've thought about or, or had questions about a relationship with God and what that is supposed to be like, and, and if you are experiencing it as it's supposed to be, if you've ever wrestled with that, you've come to the right place. As we've been talking through the book of Acts, there has been this incredible demonstration of Holy Spirit power. That as we've gone through this, questions have come from you. I see such clear working of God's spirit in the book of Acts, but I don't see that in me. Is there something wrong with me? Have I missed it? Is there some experience I'm yet to experience that apparently other people around me, I guess they have, I'm not sure. There are questions in our minds about the work of the Holy Spirit. And so what we felt uh, going through this book is that it was, this was a good weekend. To just take some time to help one another walk by the Spirit by answering three questions that have come from you. And that's really my aim this morning. My aim is helping you walk by the Spirit. That's what I'm trying to do. And that's my prayer of what God will do uh, through His Word as we talk together. So three questions that have come to me through email, through small groups, through personal interaction... About the Holy Spirit. And so the first question that I'm going to ask and answer is, what was the Holy Spirit doing in Acts? What was happening? 
How are we to understand the incredible outworking of his power? And then we'll ask the question, what does the spirit do in us? Are there differences? Is it the same? What's the same? What's different? We'll look at that. And then finally, the important question when it comes to living out our faith, we'll be answering what does be filled with the spirit mean? So that's how we're going to be spending our time this morning. I want to take you to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. We have the final words of Jesus from his earthly ministry. After he shares these words, Jesus ascends to his father's throne in heaven, where he remains until he comes again to reign for his millennial reign. We have in Acts 1-8, Jesus' words to his disciples where he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We find that Jesus promises. Now, this was a promise he made to his disciples in John 13, 14, and 15 about the Holy Spirit would, would come. He tells them again, you will receive power but for a specific purpose. And that was to give witness to Christ. And that was what the Spirit was doing in Acts. He was giving witness to Christ. What was the witness about Christ? That Jesus is the Son of God. That he died on the cross and he rose from the dead, breaking the power of sin and making it possible for people to have an eternal relationship with their heavenly father. The spirit was giving witness to Christ. But more than that, or in addition to that, was the spirit was bringing the new covenant. God had, has always chosen a people to represent him in the world. We go back to the time of Abraham in the Old Testament. God made a covenant promise to bless Abraham and through him to create a large nation that through them and their faithfulness, the entire world would be blessed. And a sign was given to Abraham. And that was the sign of circumcision. That's why the males, Jewish males were circumcised. It was a physical sign of a promise from God. That was the old covenant. Some of the aspects of the old covenant is that God brought his presence near his people. After Moses set the captives free in Egypt and they traveled around in the wilderness, God gave specific instructions to build a tabernacle, a traveling worship tent. And when they stopped and they they would set this tent up, God's physical presence through the spirit would come and reside near his people. When they built, when the people of God finally made it into the land of Israel and they constructed the temple in the Holy of Holies, the Spirit of God dwelled near His people in the Old Testament. Also, different individuals were given the Holy Spirit within them for a specific reason because of their function, like to be a king of Israel. Saul received the Holy Spirit, but it was conditional upon Saul's faithfulness. If he was unfaithful, God could remove his spirit. And that is exactly what happened to King Saul. David became king after him. He received God's spirit. David blew all ten commandments in about two weeks time, right? It was bad. And in Psalm 51, we have his psalm of confession. And he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. David knew what was at stake, and so he confessed and he repented, and God, by his grace, allowed him to continue to have his spirit. That's in the old covenant. 
the Spirit ushered in a new covenant. This was made, a promise made through the prophet Jeremiah that God would write the word on the hearts of his people and that he would make his dwelling with all of his people. And that's what the Spirit did. He brought this new covenant promise where no longer were just privileged few able to have the Holy Spirit. All who would call on the name of Jesus Christ for salvation could receive the Spirit. And it would be unconditional. Meaning God's presence would stay as a work of His grace rather than because of your faithfulness. That's good. It's a new covenant. The Spirit was bringing this. And they they experienced this in Acts chapter 2. Let me read this passage. Acts 2 verses 38 and 39 say this. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now, just as Abraham received a sign about the promise of God, there was a sign given to the Jewish believers that something new had come from from God. God had poured out his spirit and there was a physical demonstration. The speaking of languages of different languages from the region. Now, most of these Jewish believers were from an area called Galilee. They were not deeply learned in the metropolitan ways of their society, they were from their spot. They ended up in Jerusalem because they followed Jesus there and they had remained there to receive the spirit. They start speaking in languages of people from other parts of the Roman Empire. And as outward sign was given by God to show them, I have done something new. You guys with me? They needed that to trust and rely that God had had inaugurated A new covenant. Now, Peter didn't even know the full reality of what he was saying. He says this promise, this covenant promise is for you, the Jewish believers, your children, your lineage, all who are far off, and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Problem was, for Jewish believers, is they had a cultural mindset that God had called the Jewish people to be his special group of people to bless the world. There were other types of people that in their minds they viewed as being unable to enter into that privileged place. The first group of people are Samaritans. The reason why the Jewish people did not believe that the Samaritans could be part of God's kingdom is because they perverted Judaism. They mixed Judaism with pagan practices. They diluted it and and formed this own thing that the Jewish people felt was an affront and a perversion. They wanted nothing to do with them. They would travel around the region where Samaria was to not even step on the same dirt as them. But the gospel goes to them. Jesus promised, you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria. The gospel goes to Samaria, and here's what we read in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, we see this. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. God was showing, was proving through the Spirit that all could be saved. 
Now, the Samaritans, they heard the good news about Christ and they believed. But it wasn't until Jewish leadership who had believed in Christ came to see with their own eyes. Are you kidding me? Samaritans? And when Peter and John pray over them, the Holy Spirit is poured out and they give the same demonstration of the Holy Spirit as the Jews had in Jerusalem. It proved to them, yeah, the kingdom of God includes them as well. This happens again. Acts chapter 10. Another group of people. Now this time it's Gentile people. People who can't even claim any kind of lineage to Jewish roots. The Samaritans could, but Gentiles cannot. Can they be part of the kingdom of God? Well, as persecution presses God's people away from Jerusalem and out of Judea and Samaria, they continue to proclaim the gospel. And Peter is specifically sent by the Lord to take the gospel to Gentiles. And it says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from the circumcised, that means Jewish believers who had the sign of the Abrahamic covenant on them, they had come with Peter. And what, what does it say? It says, they were amazed. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? There was a delay in the receiving of the Holy Spirit until eyewitnesses among the Jewish brothers could come and see for themselves firsthand. After this event, we do not see the powerful outpouring of the Spirit in this way of people speaking in tongues and things like that of these other languages until we get to Acts 19. And in Acts 19, there's a small group of Jewish people that are following the teachings of John the Baptist. Do you guys remember John the Baptist? He predated Christ. He gave a message of repentance that people would turn back to the Lord and be prepared for the coming of the Messiah. That's all they knew. These were Jewish people living in another part of the Roman Empire. And they hear about Jesus. And guess what happens? The Holy Spirit is poured out on them. And they are able to demonstrate the same sign through the Spirit as their brothers and sisters did in Jerusalem. Outside of these events, there is not this uh, remarkable outpouring of the Holy Spirit resulting in these Ecstatic utterances. Because a specific sign was being given to prove everyone could be saved. That's what the Holy Spirit was doing in Acts. He was giving witness to Christ. He was bringing the new covenant. And he was proving all could be saved. So that was what he was doing then. What is he doing now? Now we've got to go to the U.S. What is the Holy Spirit doing in us? What does he do in us? I want to talk about two aspects of his work in us. The first is his work for us. It's his one time work for us. The moment you have received Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. Scripture is going to show us that. For some of you in this room, you can recall a specific instance or an occasion where you placed your faith and trust in Christ. 
I can remember being nine years old and, and placing my faith in Christ at home with my parents and then going to church. I went forward. The pastor was with me. I made a public profession of faith and then my father baptized me. I can remember that. Others of you, though, your faith has been something that's been in development. It's been kind of an unfolding. And when someone says, hey, when was the date and the time and the hour when you trusted Christ? You go, well, I don't know, but I, I'm there, man. I believe that. One is not more valid than the other. You don't have to have had this Highlander quickening experience to know that you have received the work of God where lightning shoots through your body. At the moment of salvation, whether that was something that was a progressive development for you where you came to understand your need for Jesus and trust in His work for you, or if it was a pivotal moment where you were broken to the core and you were overcome by the love of God, moved to tears, and you can remember it as if it were yesterday, you have the Holy Spirit at work in you. What does he do one time and for all? Well, he creates new life in us. This is his indwelling work. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out. This is a past action. The Spirit was poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a one-time work when you know that Jesus gave his life for you and you trust in that. That the Spirit moves you from death to life. We're told that we are dead in our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The word is specific. He's, we are a new creation, not a new creature. It says creation. So when we go back to when God created Adam for the first time and he crafted this man, this body in his image, what did God do to bring him to life? What did he do? He breathed into him. From God came the breath of life. We're called a new creation because being dead in our sin, we did not have the presence of God with us. By faith in Jesus Christ, the power of sin is broken. God enters in through His Spirit. By the way, the word spirit is the word pneuma, which in Greek means breath or wind. That is why we are a new creation. We have been born again, made new. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit, His indwelling work. It happened when you placed your faith in Christ. You are also baptized in the Spirit. And the baptism of the Spirit is about a uniting that you belong to Christ and to the church. His work unites us with Christ and the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Again, a past completed action. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, all were made to drink of one spirit. When you trust in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. I do not believe that Scripture teaches that there is a second work of the Spirit that only some have experienced. Because the cross is for all. 
The new covenant is for everyone who believes. And we all receive the same Holy Spirit. And because of his work for one time for all, we are secure in our place with God. This is his work. He secures our place with God. We never have to fear that we will lose our relationship with God. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. Past action based upon faith, you were sealed. With these three works of the Spirit for us, you'll never find an instruction in the New Testament to be sealed in the Spirit or be indwelled with the Spirit or be baptized in the Spirit. There will be instruction on baptism, and that is a public profession through water baptism of your faith in Christ. But these are not commands for us to do. It is the work of the Spirit for us that happens to us. If you guys ever woke up in the morning and you've had a glass of water and you're just very dry through the night, maybe you're an open mouth breather, I confess. Pray for my wife, it's horrific. But you take that first cool glass of water and what do you feel? Don't you feel it go down? The receiving of the Holy Spirit is not like that. But some of you don't know if it should have been. And so whether you want to admit it or not, you question in your mind of, I, I think maybe I haven't experienced what other people have. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is something that happens instantaneous. It is imperceptible. Now, that may have been a fantastic experience for you. You may have been overcome with joy. And I will not put anything past the work of our Heavenly Father. He created Pluto. And if it is His design to still work healings and to still show miraculous signs and wonders so that people can understand that Jesus is the Christ, He will do it. And He is doing that. Those are special outworkings of His Spirit known only to Him and according to His sovereign plan. But look at these works of the Spirit that are happening in us because He's with us. I provided a list of them so that hopefully this will create a little bit of an appetite that you can explore further for yourself. But this is what the Spirit does in us. This is what's made available to us. He teaches us and guides us, assures us and brings us comfort. He convicts us and prays with us, transforms us and empowers us. This empowerment that He brings comes through special gifts and abilities that we have. Listed among those are some of these more uh, mysterious gifts like speaking in tongues and different things like that. But it is the Spirit's work in us and He is at work in you. He is at work in you just as much as He's at work in Johishma. We share in the same Spirit. No one has a better place with God than anyone else. He is, though, looking for people who would make themselves available to him. And this is what brings us to this unique command in Scripture that says, be filled with the Spirit. What does be filled with the Spirit mean? Have you guys ever been to the Huff and Puff rally? 
If you haven't, you're not a Topekan. It's part of our culture. I think it provides a great illustration for us that we are this vessel filled with a powerful light, a fire that can move us to give witness to Christ, to shine a light in a dark place. We do have this instruction, and I came across this quote in preparing for this, and it says, Of all the doctrines in the realm of the person and work of the Holy Spirit, there is none more important as it relates to the believer's Christian life than that of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Isn't this what you want? You want to know how to live out your faith. Right? You want to know how to live this Christian life. This guy says it's the most important aspect to understand about the Spirit, and his last name is Pentecost. Pay attention. We find the command in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. We need clarity on this because there's these different words, the indwelling of the Spirit, and then the baptizing of the Spirit, and then the filling of the Spirit. Are they the same? Are they unique? The filling of the Spirit is unique because it's tied to a command given to us. Be filled with the Spirit. What does this mean? The work of the Holy Spirit that sealed you, that indwelt you, that gave you life was a past action. This is a present command. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. The idea of filled could mean uh, an empty vessel that is filled with water. But there's also a sense of the word filling that snaps the sail of a vessel when wind fills the sails. That there's this controlling power that fills it. And this is what the sense of this word is. A controlling power. And you and I affect its effect. His effect in our lives. We find this is true in 1 Thessalonians 5.19 where this simple instruction warning is given. Do not quench the spirit. So we have the Spirit by faith in Christ, and His presence remains with us. It is unconditional and does not leave us. He has this work to to move through us, to give witness to Christ, to convict us of sin, to, to come alongside us in our prayer and to pray with us. But that work in us can be hindered by us. So what affects the control of the Spirit? We have a passage that teaches us this, and ultimately it comes down to what you desire. It comes down to what you desire. Galatians 5, 16 through 25 is our text. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Every day, and then throughout the day, there is a tension at work in you and in me. I can either be drawn to the things that I desire for my own personal fulfillment, my own personal control or satisfaction, and I can pursue those things, or I can submit myself to the Lord and seek His things, His ways. 
Every day you face that decision. And for some of you, you have not submitted to God in a long time. And the life that you're living now doesn't really look so much like Jesus. Others of you find that your experience with God is a step forward and like three steps back. And you feel like you make progress in one area of your life and then you feel like you haven't made any progress at all. Maturity, spiritual maturity, is an ongoing submission to the Lord. Quick to repent. Quick to seek Him in His Word. And quick to yield control. Here's what the work of the flesh is. It's sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity. That's having it out for someone else. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Aren't you glad you came to church then? But guys, this is the truth. This is what wells up in us. This is what pulls at our heart. To have life on our terms. Men. To find sexual fulfillment. It's there every day. Envy. To be completely discontent at all times that you don't look like what you should look like. You don't have yet what you should have. And so you become consumed by that. We have a pull toward that. But look, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, this is the normal Christian experience that can be produced in us by the Spirit. These things listed are the character of Christ. He is peace. He is love. He is joy. He is patience. He's the embodiment of those things. And when we walk by the Spirit, we look like Him. And you can. It takes a willingness to submit on an ongoing basis to recognize, Lord, I am pulled toward what is not of you. But I deny that and I want to walk with you. So help me do that. And you will find every time, every time that is your decision, he will provide what you need to walk in his power. If we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. Why? Because these people who gather in Shawnee County to watch Huff and Puff wait for the lighting of the balloons. Because it's just a cool thing to see. The colors light up. The power that you can't understand that fills these things up and sends them soaring into the sky draws people. We all are like six years old every year. Because we kind of see what they're made to do. These witnesses down here at a balloon rally, they're the same people God has placed around us to show him, show them the true light of Christ. 
Maybe you won't go to the huff and puff the same again. You ever seen these? Our city is addicted to these. How many of you have almost been hit or have been hit in a roundabout in Topeka, Kansas? How many of you have almost lost your salvation at a roundabout in Topeka, Kansas? Remember, you can't do that because he sealed you, right? That was his work for you. If you know Jesus Christ, if you have believed in his name, the purpose of your life is to shine a light for him and give witness to him. Will you yield? If you have walked in rebellion, are you willing to yield? God holds nothing against you. There is nothing you have to make up for with him. He's simply wanting you to bow your knee to him and yield. Your yield matters. He will give you what you need to demonstrate who you are in Christ so that others see his light in you. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your work of grace. We have done nothing, nothing to merit or earn the salvation that we can find in you. Lord, we thank you for the true presence of the Holy Spirit in us to empower us, to comfort us, to convict us. Lord, may we be quick to walk with him. Lord, help us be filled with the Spirit. We thank you for your presence with us, and it's in your name I pray. Amen.